Some pairings are meant to be together. They're kind of good on their own, but when they're together, something special happens. Ant and Deck. If you heard of Ant's show on Saturday night, I don't know if you'd watch it, but Ant and Deck, something magic happens when the two come together. Turkey and cranberry sauce. Turkey, nice. Cranberry sauce on its own, mm. Put them together, Christmas dinner. Magic. Joe Schmidt and Jacob Stockdale. <laughs> Penn and Merv, sorry. <laughs> there you go, confirmation. The sort of conversation you have, you know, I was speaking to Merv, Merv, you know, Penn and Merv. Oh, yeah. Put them together at their house, something special. On their own, still good, still good. <laughs> Today we're looking at a passage where two things come together, both good, very good, but when they come together, something special happens. We're looking at the spirit-filled life. I realize I don't have a clicker, so I'm just going to do that, Corv, and you can, okay, magic. Um, We're we're looking at the spirit-filled life, and we've been looking at the whole idea that Paul Uh, In seeking to equip the church, he said, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And we as a church, we want to be equipped with all that God has for us in the spirit-filled life, to accept that all he has for us is good. And so our series, it's a brief mini-series on the spirit-filled life. And the first week, if you remember Stu Bothwell, he said this, he quoted John 14, where Jesus said, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And of course, he went on to talk about the sending of the Holy Spirit. And he asked this question, as in Stu asked this question, do I eagerly desire the spiritual gifts? And in order to do so, I have to desire the giver, and I have to build in space. And then, Phil, last week, if you remember, he said this at the beginning, my fear is that we're missing out on what the Christian life is all about. Some of us are settling for something far less than God intended. And he reminded us that each of us has been given a gift of the Holy Spirit to be used in community with each other. And he commanded us through Romans 12 to fully surrender our lives to God. So, today we're looking at the foundation for the spirit-filled life. We're going to be looking at a church which has got some similarities to our own, I would suggest. A church that understood the challenge of division. A church that was approximately four years old. A church that was reasonably well off. A church that had significant evidence of gifting. And a church that was excited about the future. Paul planted the church, as in St. Paul. uh, And uh, he now had heard some time later uh, some concerning reports about the church. Things were going wrong. And so he wrote a letter to address some of the problems with a view to helping or correcting them. Uh, Because he wanted to see their potential fulfilled. This is the same Paul that wrote to another church 
about the God who is able to do, and I quote, immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And so we're looking at the church of Corinth. I remember when, I think it was Ellen was a toddler, um, her uncle um, gave her a present, and it was a beautifully wrapped present. And he was looking forward to seeing her reaction to the present. And as all good kind of young toddlers do, she ripped off the uh, gift wrapping, opened up, and I think it was a doll inside, and then proceeded to play with the wrapping. And it was just beautiful wrapping. And the brother-in-law was devastated because he'd spent so much time on this gift. And we sort of moved the wrapping away and passed the doll towards her and she started to cry. And we said, honestly, the, 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 the doll's really nice. But the problem was she was more interested in the wrapping than the actual gift. And that's kind of some of the problems that the Corinthian church had. They were interested in the wrapping rather than the gift. They were, they were using the gift not for the purpose for which it was fully intended. So we're going to look a wee bit today just at the background of the church uh, and then briefly unpack some of the spiritual gifts that Paul mentions in the passage that we're looking at. It's not going to be an in-depth study of spiritual gifts. And then we're going to explore this foundation because these two things that come together that needed to come together in Corinth were the gifts of the Spirit that they had in abundance, but they were missing something which totally made them useless. Yes, there were gifts of God, and yes, they were in abundance, but they were nothing without love. And so if you look at the, 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 the map here, you can see Corinth is in a, literally just a strip of land between the north and south of Greece. And as a result of that, there was a lot of traffic that flowed through it. To cut a long story short, I could tell you lots about it because I read lots about it, but it was a very well-off city. Uh, it had a, in fact, it was the most important city uh, at one point in Greece. It had a population of about 250,000 free people and about 400,000 servants and slaves. I thought that was an interesting way of putting it. Um, so it was quite well off, at least some people were. It had at least 12 temples. And one of those temples was one to the goddess of Aphrodite. And, and it was up on a hill. And there were reputed to be about a thousand priestesses of this temple. And of course, these priestesses were actually prostitutes. And so it was a, it was a big city with a lot of debauchery or a lot of promiscuity. It had a concert hall uh, of about 3,000 people. It had a theater where athletics events happened every two years, second only to the Olympics. The capacity was the same as that of the Kingspan, 18,000 people. So it was really quite a city. It was notorious for promiscuity. In fact, the word Corinthian became synonymous with uh, promiscuity, according to some uh, writers that I was reading. And this is the place where Paul planted the church of Corinth. He'd stayed there for about 18 months after planting the church. And the majority of the people came from a kind of Gentile background. Probably uh, some of them middle class rather than poor. Some of them having some degree of wealth and therefore influence. And they were based in all these different house churches. So they had a kind of Jenny Martin overseeing all of the different house groups. And 
lots was happening in the church. And Paul, however, he was over in Ephesus and he heard this word. He, he got this word that, that there were problems. There were discouraging signs. They were plagued by divisions. There were many disagreements. One leader had had an affair with his stepmother. Uh, there were church members suing other church members. There were some regularly visiting these priestesses. One faction was even saying, uh, advocating total celibacy uh, in a legalistic fashion. And there was disagreement about the role of woman. And Paul realized this church had some growing up to do. And in the midst of all of this, there was an abundance of a huge amount of gifting. And it seems that chaos seemed to characterize some of the meetings. It seems that there, was, uh, there, 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 was, there were problems. And the outsider who would have gone into the meeting would have looked at this bunch of people and said, these are a bunch of nut jobs. I don't know what's going on here. And Paul realized that, and so he gave them some guidance. Some even had an air of superiority. I've got these gifts, and somebody else doesn't, so I'm the boy. And it seems from Paul's letter that there was an air of arrogance. And this arrogance led to blindness. There was a sort of sense of, you know, we've got it sussed. We're a church that's happening. And so I was picturing the scene of a, a kind of job description for the Corinthian fellowship. If you were applying for a youth pastor role in such a place, they, they might say we're a young contemporary church. We're recently established, growing in number. We're characterized by vibrant worship. We're non-cessationist. And if you want to know what that is, read the book that Ian talked about. <laughs> With lively prophetic ministry and excellent resources, and if you were a budding youth pastor reading that, you'd say, that's a church I want to go to. But Paul saw it differently. And he writes a, a letter to the church to address their, challenge, their, their behaviors. And he provided some instruction uh, for the exercise of the gifts. In particular, tongues seemed to have this prominence, an undue prominence. And people were saying, I want some of that because that, makes me look pretty impressive. And so Paul addresses them, and we're going to look at it in, in, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians uh, in a moment or two, but uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, the first few verses. But if you, there's, a, there's a section in 1 Corinthians where he addresses all of this. It's chapters 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. And this is what he says in chapter 12 at the very beginning. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. He wants them to know. He wants them to be equipped. And in chapter 14, he says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And in between, we have this famous chapter of love. This is not a digression where he goes, ah, oh, you know, I must tell you about love. And loves this, loves that, loves the other. It was very much embedded in the middle of the instructions for how they do worship. You see, if I'd have been Paul and I'd have heard about all of this misuse, I'd have been going, right, stop, stop it all. Stop it all. Wise up. This is scaring me. But Paul's answer to misuse wasn't disuse. It was proper use. He didn't say stop. He said eagerly desire gifts. 
and I want to show you how you're meant to do this thing. You can't have one without the other, he said. You can't have gifts without love. Or if you have, it'll be meaningless. And so in chapter 12, he lists all of the gifts of the Spirit. Not all of them. He lists some of the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, and at the end, uh, he explains that no one has all the gifts. And if, if, we have, if you've got your Bibles with you, have we look at just at the end of chapter 12, uh, verses 29 and 30. And this is what he says. Are all apostles, are all prophets, Obviously, the answer he's meaning is no. Are all teachers, do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts? And then he says this at the end, and now I will show you the most excellent way. Go to the next slide there, Corv, if you wouldn't mind. And he says, I'm going to show you the excellent way. And I wonder when this letter was first read to the church, did the folk go, great. Now I'm going to get this one step to spiritual greatness. I'm going to learn the most excellent way. This, this gift, I've heard of these gifts, but this is, this is going to be a real good one. And then Paul says this in verse 1. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, uh, go to the next one, please. He addresses this gift of tongues. This is a definition I came across, which I think is a helpful one. Speaking in tongues, speaking in a language never before learned. It may be a known earthly language or an unknown heavenly language. Of all the gifts and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, this is certainly the most controversial, isn't it? It's the most talked about. It's the most disputed. And yet it was something that Jesus prophesied. He said one of the signs accompanying believers would be the speaking in tongues. And it was first fulfilled in Acts 2 that we see anyway at Pentecost when we're told, and I quote, we're, uh, the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to each other in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then we see the story in Acts 10 and in Acts 19 where the Holy Spirit fell on people and they spoke in tongues. And so it seems, as, as I was looking through uh, the various different scriptures on this uh, and reading a, a bit around it, there are two kind of contexts for tongues or two different types of tongues. There's this other national language, this earthly language that you see and you hear about in Acts chapter 2. And I, I would love to tell you, I'm smiling because I was talking to somebody about this last night. And um, I don't know how to say this because I, I, my memory's rubbish, but I'm confident this happened. Somebody that we know well, that's, that, that, that's mysterious. I'm going to tell you about this in a few weeks' time when I've checked it up with them, but I couldn't get hold of them th uh, today or yesterday or the day before. <sighs> <clears throat> they had, a, 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 I think it was a niece, who experienced this speaking in another language. She spoke in tongues in her church, only to discover that some Koreans came to her afterwards and asked her, how had she learned the language? Where did she learn the language? And she was amazed because she hadn't even realized what she was doing. 
I suppose the one thing to say is, look, this stuff that happens in the Bible, God's the same yesterday, yesterday, today and forever, isn't he? Isn't he? I'll tell you more about that story when I check up the facts. It's a really good story. It's better than what I told. But I want to have the facts right before I tell you more. So there's this other national language. But then Paul also refers to other situations in Acts chapter 14 verse 2. Where the speaking is not to men but to God. And in Romans 8 we're told about the spirit helping us in our weakness. Interceding through wordless groans. And so there's this element of tongues Uh, which are about praying to God. And Paul, we're told, prayed in tongues more than any of the Corinthians. So the purpose of tongues, as I can see it, let's go back one there, Corv, please. Ah, that's gone, that's disappeared. The The purpose of tongues is to assist the believer in their prayer life, from what I can see. To assist the believer in their worship of God. To build up the believer And as a sign, like in Pentecost, to unbelievers. But there were rules and limits that Paul put into the public arena when when, when tongues were being exercised. And you can read about that in chapter 14. But here's the point. And let's go back to my fancy slide that came up bouncing all over the place. No, it doesn't work anymore. Uh, He says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You see, gongs and cymbals were a feature of this pagan worship that they were surrounded with. And cymbals and gongs are things that are single-toned. They're incapable of melody. They're incapable of harmony. They're just noise. And tongues motivated by self, he says, is just meaningless. Meaningless noise. But in worship of God, it's beautiful melody. So if you speak in tongues, you're blessed However, don't look down, Paul would say, on those that don't. Don't think of yourself somehow spiritually superior to those that don't. And if you don't or don't understand the speaking of tongues, don't despise those who do. This is what Paul's saying. Each person can love Christ with a passion, with an emotion, with a commitment, and each is equally valuable in the body of Christ. And so, Uh, That was chapter uh, chapter 13, verse 1. We move on to verse 2, and he says this. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all uh, all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I've not love, I'm nothing. So the gift of prophecy, the next slide. Gift of prophecy, speaking forth the word of God through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It can be, but it doesn't have to be predictive of the future. When Timothy came before the elders in 1 Timothy 4, they laid hands on him and he was given a word of prophecy that indicated the gifts the Lord was giving him to fulfill his ministry. I remember years ago, and I may have told you this before, I had a friend who had cancer. His father uh, had died of cancer and he had cancer himself. Uh, he was about the same age as me. It was about a lot, a lot of years ago. And as I was praying for him, and he'd had this for a long time, as I was praying for him, I felt a real sense that he was going to be okay. Forgive me if I've told you this before. A real sense, something deep within me, and I, I kept thinking, no, that, that's just me wanting, to, wanting what's best. But I felt I had to tell him. 
I felt I had to tell him there was something deeper here. Every time I prayed for him, it seemed that he was going to be okay. And I went and I spoke to him. Uh, I called him up. I spoke to him. Now, this is a guy who suffered from cancer for, for about, I don't know, quite a few months. And I said, uh, his name was Tim. And I said, look, Tim, um, I don't know how to put this, but something, and I believe it's God, is telling me that you're going to be okay. And he cried. And, and I thought, oh, I hope this is of you, Lord. And he said, nobody has said anything, but this week you're the fourth person that has said that to me. And I thought, God, thank you. Thank you for using me to encourage him, to build him up. Because he knew somehow that God saw him, that God knew his circumstances. And somehow through the work of the Holy Spirit, he was encouraged. We were at a, 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 a few of us were at a conference a couple of weeks ago talking about prophecy. And a guy gave a word of prophecy at the end. And this is out of my comfort zone, I have to confess. But I was speaking to this guy. His name's Gary, uh, the guy that was prophesied over. And he was telling me about his church. They'd been in a leisure center for years, but it's looking good that they're going to be moving into new premises. It hasn't been signed and sealed or anything, but it's looking good. And the guy then at the, in the conference later, he said, he, he spoke to this guy. He said, what's your name? And he said, I believe God has got a word for you that you've been wandering for a number of years as a church and God's found for you a home. And I, I, I was gobsmacked. And I suppose I'm telling you this to say, look, this stuff's real. God is real. God's Holy Spirit is real. His gifts are for the building up of the church. Chapter 14 says, in contrast to the gift of tongues, prophecy is directed to people for their strengthening. Let's see if the next slide comes up, does it? Yeah. For their strengthening, for their encouragement, and for their comfort. And Paul gives guidelines for public prophecy. It will never contradict God's word. We have got God's word as our benchmark and we filter everything through it. And that there will be false prophets. There will be times when it's got wrong. And that's why they've put, he put a structure in place where it should be done in an orderly fashion. And that's why when we, if someone feels they have a word in this, in this church, we, we ask them to go through the leadership. It's not that they're any more spiritual. It's that's the role that they have to discern, to see uh, whether this is something that can be shared now, to be prayed over, to be tested. But it's from the Holy Spirit. And so, in this verse as well, in chapter 2, Paul went on not just to talk about prophecy, but about faith. If we go to the next slide. There is saving faith. But the gift of faith, the special ability that God gives to discern with extraordinary confidence the will and purposes of God. There is a saving faith that 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 that. that to believe in Christ as our Savior, believing that he paid the price for our sins. And as a result of that belief and testimony, uh, we come into fellowship with him and we have a promise of eternal life. And then as a follower of Christ, there's faith to believe you know, in, in his ways uh, and faith to believe in his goodness as we walk. And that faith grows. But this gift of faith seems to be a special ability that God gives to discern with extraordinary confidence the will and purpose of God. 
I think this is a faith that people need at certain chapters of their lives. And we've often talked about the situation about the guy that most of us now know in California called Farouz, who prayed uh, that God would use him, but he spent about the first year preaching, preparing and preaching each week, almost every week to his wife. That was faith that God gave him beyond logic. Phil talked about last week about where he felt the real call to go and pray with a guy who had cancer. And Phil was a guy who would experienced um, something where he would lost his wife. And yet he was being asked to pray, he believed by God, for this guy who had cancer. And he prayed for him and the guy was healed. Do you remember he told the story last week? There was a faith that God gave him in that situation which went beyond the natural. But here's the point. Go to the next slide, please. Here's the point. According to that verse up on the slide there, there are dramatic, there's exceptional prophecies. If I have gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the gift of faith that can move mountains but don't have love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. The only environment that these things operate that have meaning is the environment of love. And so, verse 3. Next slide, please. He says this. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. The gift of giving. Next slide, please, Corv. No, back one. My mistake. You've got to be sneak preview there. Um, the gift of giving, listed in Romans 12. It's not complicated. It's exercised with simplicity, with no thought of return from others. But here's the point of all these verses. I remember, by the way, when I was, when I was doing uh, years ago, a few years ago, before the invention of the PC, I was using a BBC microcomputer. And many people remember the BBC microcomputer. Yeah, yeah, a few gray hairs. Uh, <laughs> And you used to have this five and a half inch floppy disk. Do you remember that? And, and, and you had to save your, your, your work. And I remember one day coming up to my finals. This is years and years and years ago. Uh, and, and I thought, I'm going to type this project out. And I, I, I started at three in the afternoon. And I, had only, I only broke for, I don't know, 25 minutes at tea time. That's how serious I was. And um, I, I, typed, I typed like this. Uh, and I put all my project in, and I knew I should have, you know where this is going, don't you? I knew I should have put in the floppy drive and pressed save. And I thought, I'll do it, I'll do it in a wee minute. And I, was, I remember I had a, a desk here and, and one plug here with an adapter in it and a plug there and a plug there and a plug there. One was the monitor, one was for the floppy disk, one was for the, and um, as I got up, my elbow at nine o'clock, that's it. Seriously, that was it. I said, Lord, bless your name. <laughs> I was gutted. But that's what this is like. You know what? If I give everything, do all that work, it means absolutely nothing. We can, we've started this, you, you know, this, this CAP life skills. Some really encouraging stuff happened this week, just for your encouragement, for your prayers. 
We had a bunch of people that came along. We didn't know how many people were going to come. And it was great. It was really encouraging. You say, oh God, this is great. You're going to work through us. Bring it on. But you see, without love, you know what that looks like? I'm die the boy. Huh? Seriously. We've got this life skills thing going. Aren't we the boys? We're great. We're reaching out to the poor. Yeah. Without love in God's currency, nothing. Even sacrificial giving, even reckless abandonment means nothing. Because spiritual gifts on their own mean nothing. Not do it, do nothing. But spiritual gifts, according to Paul, next one, plus love, grounded in love, equals power. Because Paul's prayer for the church was that their heart would be enlightened, that they would know his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. I will build my church, Jesus said, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. And so I'm asking the question, so what? Well, next slide. What is love? Well, what is love? What is love? Not song. I consulted the lyrics of Hathaway to find out what is love. Uh, This is a a song for those of you who don't listen to the charts of 30 years ago. And according to Hathaway, um, baby don't hurt me, baby don't hurt me no more is what he said. Grammar's a wee bit wrong there. I think you'll find it's don't hurt me anymore. Christine would have a field day with him. According to Bee Gees, we can measure how deep is your love. Because you see, we're living in a world of fools. They're breaking us down and they all should let us be because we belong to you and me. And those fools, they need to be able to measure love. Because measuring love, according to the Bee Gees, is about knowing your eyes in the morning sun. Feeling your touch in the pouring rain. That's what love is. We're kind of influenced by that when we think of love, aren't we? The sort of sentimental, or as my dad would have said, senseless lyrics in the church. But according to Paul, love is this word agape, an unconditional love, seeing something infinitely precious in its object. It's the willing Joyful desire to put the welfare of others above our own, leaving no place for pride, envy, vanity, arrogance, self-seeking, or self-glory. And this is a word that wasn't common in Greek at all. In fact, some people say uh, it's very rare, but it's right throughout the New Testament. I'm not a Greek scholar, so I'm depending on others when I read that. But it's kind of that they needed a new word to define love when they thought of God. The love of God seen in Jesus requires this new word. A love that just gives. Because the Corinthians were trying to get the gifts without the, the gifts of the Spirit without the fruit of the Spirit. And it's possible to have the gifts without spirituality. So if we want the Spirit-filled life in our lives, in our church, it starts with this agape love, Paul would argue. Follow the way of love, chapter 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love 
and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. There's two dangers here. One is we could put God in a box and refuse to accept the gifts that he has given for the profit of the church. We could go for safety. And Paul says, eagerly desire them. Or number two, we could focus on the wrapping and expend our energy on the, on the, the fancy stuff motivated by ourselves. And the result, meaningless babble. And I think, but that's not us. That's not me. That's not me. We've got these values. We reach out in love. We're committed to each other. We're a community of grace. We depend on God. Do you know, as I was thinking about that, I thought, that's what the Corinthians thought. We're a happening church. We're a growing church. We're a resourced church. We're an exciting church. We've got the gifts of the Spirit. They were blind to their lack of love. And that's why Paul said, if you think you're standing firm to the Corinthians, be careful that you don't fall. And so the foundation, surely, for the gifts of the Spirit, if we want that immeasurable power of Christ at work within us that will transform our community, the foundation is the... The foundation is... There's the... Uh, is, 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 the, is the fruit of the Spirit. Not the gift of the Spirit, but the fruit. It starts in the fruit, and then we have the gift. Uh, I'm going to put a wee slide up, and it's just a, 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 a wordle of 1 Corinthians 13, the next few verses. Let me read them to you. And I want you to think for yourself, um, and maybe get you guys to come up now, and we're going to sing in a wee minute or two. Um, you know the verses quite well. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I'm going to ask just for a couple of minutes, if you, with your Eyes open, because <laughs> you have to read this. And but can I just tell you, I'm going to ask you to do something in a wee minute or two, but it, nothing, it's, it, it, it's, it's nothing scary, I promise you. Even the scariest person among you will be dead relaxed, okay? So I've got you intrigued now. Everybody's going to have their eyes closed. The most you're going to do is that, okay? So don't, don't panic. Read these, if you wouldn't mind, and ask God to show you as I have been doing, Lord, is there something that I'm missing here? Because is there something in this love? When I think of the other churches, the other house groups in my town, the church in Balnahinch, or is there something when I think of the other people in this fellowship that I'm lacking? Ask them for the next couple of minutes to reveal that to you as you look at those words.
I'm going to ask you to close your eyes now. Even if you're the sort of person that can easily pray with your eyes open, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And ask God, maybe as he's revealed one of these things or more of one of these things to you. If you want to ask him to replace that with the fruit of his spirit, with love. It's not dramatic on your hands, on your knees, if you just open your hands, face upwards, on your knees, not, not you sitting on your knees, but your hands on your knees, just open them face upwards, the same way that Stu talked to us. This is not something that we can will in, something that we can uh, in, discipline into our life. It's something that God can identify and replace and change us by his spirit. If that's something you want to do, just hold your hands out now and ask him that you would receive his love, the fruit of his spirit. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit and for the power of the Holy Spirit and for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We've been told to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit and we realize that you know what's best for us. And so, Father, we accept your divine will. We ask that your Holy Spirit may give to us those gifts that we can exercise for the benefits of the whole church. We want to edify the body of Christ. And thank you, Lord, that you divide to each person as you will. Help us that we might be open. Help us, Lord, to seek your agape love. That nothing, nothing would stand in the way of you having your way in this church. In this church in Balnahinch. To be the church that you intended her to be. And so, Father... As we have reflected and listened to you, replace our lack of love with love, we pray. That as we wait to expect on you, we ask you to plow any hard ground of our hearts so that we may seek you and we commit ourselves to love. 
and to the exercise according to your spirit. Use us, Lord, and empower us as you see fit.